Well, good morning, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. We are going to chat this morning with uh, a young man who is facing some significant challenges in his life. So the caller writes, and the caller goes by Walid, not his real name. During the past five years, I hesitated a lot to write you a letter hoping to contact you to share with you my story, which I have not disclosed to anyone before. I always considered myself strong and able to forget, forgive the past and the devastating tragedies that I did not choose for myself. I'm a loner. Thus, during the past five years, I've addictively, fo addictively followed nearly all of your conversations with your listeners and all of your great contents alike. Man, you helped me change a lot. I'm encouraged now to send you this message. I am a 33-year-old man from Northern Africa. I have been living in, in the United States for the past 10 years. I grew up in a fatherless household. My father died when he was about 70 years old. I was only 13 months. My widowed mother, who was 30 years old at the time, refused to mother, marry other quality men after the death of my father. She justified that by not wanting to bring a stranger into me and my older brother's life so that he would not violate us or harm us in any way, shape, or form. Instead, she brought her sister to live with us right after my father's death, and that was the beginning of the suffering. My aunt was a prostitute, drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes in front of me and my brother. She was bringing a group of prostitutes to our house and even customers such that me and my brother were able to hear them having sex with my aunt and other prostitutes alike from our room. My mother turned from a housewife to a maid serving the needs of her sister and her customers, which turned our household into a brothel. My aunt would bring me into one of the rooms to look at her, one of her naked friends and ask me which underwear looks good on her. She went too far to the point that she forced me and my mother to call my brother a girl's name and dress my brother in women's clothes and began to take him with her to bars and nightclubs. After years from suffering in this situation, my aunt emigrated to Europe in the late 90s. My mother went out to work at people's homes to clean and wash their dishes for $10 a day and left me and my brother sometimes all day long without supervision. <clears throat> I was bullied. I was beaten by the children of the neighbors. I suffered a fractured skull from an adult in the neighborhood in which we used to live who also molested me. One day, because I had no one to defend me, he picked me up and slammed my head against the concrete, which resulted in putting me in the intensive care unit for 45 days. Upon arriving at my house from the coma, I woke up to the music of celebration, which was set up by the perpetrator's family because my mother was unable to provide enough money for a capable lawyer, which resulted in the perpetrator not being placed in jail for harming a child. Then I was molested by one of the residents of the neighborhood who was running a nearby arcade. Dear Stefan, despite everything, I can forgive all of them except for this harasser who destroyed my life until the moment I write this letter to you. I am now the father of a five-year-old girl, which resulted from a malicious, narcissistic relationship. To my wife, who she claimed that she could not conceive, but when she gave birth to the baby, it became clear to me that I had fallen into the traps of my wife and her malignant, narcissistic mother. My suffering with these two women would continue for more than six years until the death of my mother-in-law, with a hereditary mental illness 
which I was blamed for by my wife. And here I am. I am still suffering. I will elaborate a lot more if you give me a chance to share these tragedies with you and your listeners. I have Arab features, but I am agnostic. The blue-haired creatures in my far-left liberal city where I live blame me for being an immigrant with capitalist and family values orientations. I am a failure in my wife's eyes. I am pretty close to piss it all off. I have been addicted to alcohol on a daily basis since the first week of my daughter's birth. I am surprised every day why I'm still alive. I lost myself. I can't stand the shit anymore, Steph. I need your help. Well, I'm I'm here for you, brother. How, how are you doing this morning? All right, so we're calling you Walid, right? Yes. Can you hear me, Steph? I can. I can. Um, what a, what a tale. Uh, tell tell me how you're doing this morning. I'm I'm here. I'm 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 super excited. Uh, first of all, this is uh, I I consider this you know just right now as a new chapter in my life. Just for getting the chance to hear from you guys, I really appreciate it, Steph. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate it. You are absolutely welcome. It's kind of it's what I'm here for. So. Is, is it you said you want to elaborate? I mean, I have questions, but if there's stuff that you want to say um, ahead of time, I'm I'm really happy to hear that too. Yes. I'll well, I may not be happy to hear it, but I'm eager to hear it if that if that makes any I, sense because it's a pretty a grim of, tale, I, right? It, it makes a lot of sense. I appreciate it. So, uh, in the email, I put the uh, uh, my mom not wanting to marry a, a, a quality man in quotes because uh, you know learning from you what kind of a quality man would want to marry a woman with you know, two kids. That's based on what I learned from you. That's that's what I wanted to elaborate on from the email. And there was uh, a bit of uh, um, um, uh, witchcraft happening in the house too, but that's a different story if you want, I can tell you a little bit about it. I also Okay, hang on clear- a sec, hang on, sorry. Yeah. I know I just asked you to, to say. So just, just to clarify, look, you, you could end up with two kids and you can end up with a great quality man because like maybe uh, she's a widow, right? Um, to, to, so, you know, she, the husband died and, and she's left with this. She could be a, a fine person. They could be good kids uh, and somebody, a man might want to. It's not necessarily the fact that she's without a, um, a husband that, that means. But I think for me, the issue is more that, you know, your mom was a pretty terrible person. It sounds like you've got the aunt who's the prostitute. Like that, it's, it's all of those things rather than they're just the presence of two kids and no Dad, I just sort of wanted to clarify that. Now, tell me a little bit about the witchcraft thing, because, um, you know, if you were, if you, I don't know, some white guy from Scandinavia, I'd assume, okay, well, witchcraft is just kind of like a metaphor. But do you mean like actual witchcraft, or 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 is that a metaphor? Uh, it, it's a metaphor because I don't I don't believe in that you know stupid stuff. But people in what I'm from deeply believe in you know these powers that they can you know, make somebody love them or they can separate people and stuff like that. So uh, my aunt and her friends, they would, uh, you know, they would, you know, I'm sorry to discuss you, but they would use their blood clots, you know, and their uh, blood that's coming from, you know, their periods to to have somebody uh, that, that does not care about them to uh, make them, you know, attracted to them. So they would burn them in charcoals and stuff like that. And they would bring this lady that claimed that she has this superpowers and they would do this, you know, um, kind of horrendous stuff, which they would be fully naked and they would be doing circles around this burning, you know, um, uh, period clots and stuff like that. So that would have. I mean, that's regularly. that's a fairly that's a fairly substantial cultural difference, I suppose. Like the European tradition is, 
you know, work out, maybe uh, get some nice clothes, a uh, little makeup, uh, some uh, some perfume, get your hair done, as opposed to dance around naked in burning menstrual blood, which, you know, seems like um, uh, a bit of a gap uh, in terms of values, but that was their thing, right? Which is the menstrual blood yeah. burning. I think that might, you know, yeah, I guess in the European tradition, that might make a man attracted to you, but that man would be Satan. So, um, wow, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, so, it's, it's... how did uh, what did you what, what did your mom what did your mom say about her sister, like in the house with, with these men and and look at these panties and calling your brother by a girl's name? I mean, what did your mom say about about any of this? Uh, my mom was scared uh, was scared shitless uh, from his from her sister. Uh, she was uh, uh, you know alcoholic and you know she would just throw tantrums and stuff like that. And um, I don't know my 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 aunt to my mom pretty much sounds like you know she was pretty uh, street smart. So uh, my mom is like, hey, I'm just a widow and I would just you know deal with the with the situation that I choose for myself by bringing my aunt over to. Uh, uh, to you know, to babysit and you know, to sit around and smoke cigarettes and drink. So I don't think she did anything, you know, uh, to uh, kind of protect me and my brother from this from this lady. You know, did your mom bring your aunt over for income? Because your mom, I mean, your aunt was making money from prostitution, right? So was that kind of like, well, my husband who paid the bills is gone, so let's bring the prostitute in to pay the bills. Well, here's the thing, Steph. I think it was the other way around because my mom had inherited, you know, that my father's house and a, uh, a solid pension. And back then, my 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 father worked for a solid, you know, uh, company that that they would give the widow nineteen thousand dollars back in nineteen eighty nine, and that was a lot of money uh, back then. So she got the nineteen thousand dollars and the uh, the, the quarterly uh, pension. And I think my my aunt used uh, um, that as as like a as like a, 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 a an excuse for her to be like, oh, now you have a lot of money, and now you're by yourself, and I want to protect you, and you don't have anybody to protect you. And my aunt was that kind of woman, like she was a I don't know if I could say the term, but she was like a manly woman, like she would you know beat dudes up in in a neighborhood where we live. So she was like, hey, probably I could you know come around to protect you from anybody that's thinking to come in and take over the money. So I think that was the case. And then Europe, I guess Europe in, in the 1990s was like, yeah, you're like a, a witch, prostitute, violent, beaten up guys, abusing children kind of woman. Why don't you come on to uh, Europe? Come on over to Europe. This is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a, wow. that's a long story by itself, too, because that she continued to be the prostitute she always wanted to be, and she made a lot of money from it back then. I think she went to uh, to uh, Europe in 1999, and it, in her coming back home, it reflected how you know wealthy she became because she accumulated houses and cars and and money and stuff like that. And she just you know continued to be the prostitute she always wanted to be. Well, probably not always wanted to be. I mean, we can imagine what happened to her in her childhood to have her turn out that way. But I agree. Certainly, these were the choices she made as an adult, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, I do obviously have questions about, about your childhood, but I, I feel we should probably circle back. You said the six years you suffered under the woman you had the child with, and I'm sorry, so you said the woman you had the child with, your wife, and I just and your current child, 
if you could just untangle that a little bit for me, I'd appreciate it. Okay. Uh, I, I want to throw in a little uh, story for you, Steph, just to know how I knew about you in the first place, because that sure. led me to, uh, you know. So I used to work in here in the city where I'm at. I used to work in this uh, uh, little, you know, food joint that opens 24-7. So I used to do the, the hard shift. I used to do the graveyard. And uh, the area where I was used to be, um, it's like downtown. It's like a financial district, hotels and all of that. So it will be a lot of people coming from the airports from all over the, 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 the country, if not all over the world. And most of them were like stewards and pilots and stuff like that. So because the night shift sometimes gets kind of like slow. So what I would do, I would set a chair right in front of the window where I serve food. And then I would try to strike a conversation based on what I learned that day, what I saw on YouTube and stuff like that. So I came across this video that was uh, animated and the title of that video called the, S the story of your enslavement. But back then that video did not have your name on it. So I struggled finding who's this guy who's doing, I don't know if he did the narration for the video or not, but it was just awesomely put in terms of how, you know, it was animated and stuff like that. So I would, if I, if I see someone, that's interested in knowing about what I'm from and all of that. I would just show them the, you know, the clip. It was like three, four minutes. And I'll be like, hey, what do you think about it? So I started doing that. And then all of a sudden I came across this gentleman and showed him a video. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's Steph. And I was like, who's Steph? He's like Steph Molyneux. Like he, Steph Molyneux, he has a channel and stuff like that. So that was the story how I know about Stefan Molyneux and all of that. So, um, Yeah, and that there's a reason why YouTube restricted that video so much because it was uh, yeah. kind of like the first feeler for a lot of people to get into philosophy. But sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So uh, at that very food, uh, food joint where I worked, that's when my uh, wife worked in. Uh, she, she used to do the morning. So we would switch. Like I would prep for them, and I would get the place, the place cleaned and all of that. So there was one day that she came in late, and then she was like, oh, sorry, I, I, I hope you didn't call the boss and stuff. And I was like, no, no, I would never call the boss over something stupid like that. So I would just cover for you half an hour or an hour. There's no big deal. I'm staying here for 13 hours, so that's fine. Um, so the next week she was like, oh, I want to give it up. I want to make it up to you for what you did for me last week. So would you like to go out for a couple of drinks and stuff like that? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So we managed to go out for, you know, a dinner and a couple of drinks and we you know uh, sadly had sex at the in the first date and then we took it from there pretty much every day and that was the story how i how i met her i don't know if you want me to elaborate more about what's the situation and how it became or was that yeah uh, if you could enough? that'd be great yeah if you could yeah so uh at, the, at that time i used to live with the roommates and i used to pay you know uh you know a little bit more than what normal excuse me what a normal what a normal person in my situation will be paying because we used to live in downtown so she suggested she suggested hey why don't you come in and then we could uh, live together and stuff like that so i i was like yeah sure i would be paying less and you know I would but, have sorry a, how long into the relationship was this uh three i would say uh like around three weeks four weeks something like that so you have sex on the first so, date you move in in three yeah. weeks and it doesn't yeah. go well. It doesn't go right. well at all because uh, once I moved in and then the next couple of months, I started noticing that she's not, you know, uh, having her menstruation period and stuff like that. So I suggested like, hey, do you want to do you want me to get you like the the kit to try to do the, the home test for pregnancy and stuff like that? I don't I don't know if she was in denial. 
but I'm pretty sure that she every every single time I was like, hey, do you mind if I put protection like condoms and stuff? She was like, I know for sure that I cannot give birth because I just came out from a 10 years relationship not being sexually protected and I couldn't get pregnant. So the oh, so she's quite kid a bit older, right? Back then. Uh, yeah, she's she's uh, she's actually two years older than I than I am. Uh, actually, I'm 33 and she's 35. Well, and just so everybody knows, the I can't get pregnant, you don't need to use protection is is a trap for the most part. I mean, that's how you should take it. It's a trap. Uh, I mean, a woman for, cannot, I mean, unless she's had a complete hysterectomy or whatever. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, looks like he dropped. Oh, excellent. OK. All right. Well, let's see if we can uh, we can get him back. But yeah, the um, the I can't get pregnant. You don't need to use protection. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not particularly good. And I wonder if Walid, you know, this is the other thing too. So a lot of times when guys go out on a, a date, uh, they will mention, uh, "Oh, my family is successful," or "My mom has money," or uh, "We do fairly well," or "Here's we live. Here's where we live." And it's a way of sort of advertising your uh, fitness as a whole, as a um, uh, as a provider, and if you do, in a sense, brag to a woman who's unstable and greedy about the resources you have access to, then she may choose to have unprotected sex with you. She may choose to just, you know, this is a woman who was not doing very well in life, right? So she was uh, in, in her late 20s, I assume. She'd been in a 10-year relationship, so late teens to late 20s. So she's 29, she's 30, the clock is ticking, the eggs are drying up, her physical appearance is beginning to do that downward slide. And she's, you know, after 30, uh, close to 30 years on the planet, what does she end up uh, doing? She ends up working the dawn shift at some fast food place, basically. Uh, I'm going to guess a falafel place or something like that. But she's going to end up working that in her late 30s. So she's probably not uh, not, not doing well, right? So Walid, are you back? Uh, uh, I, I, I think it caught up for a little bit, but I got the, 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 the part where you said that we worked in the fast food to, to the point where you, you know, stop right now. Yeah, it's just saying that she, um, she probably saw you as a ticket, right? She gets pregnant if you if you're you're a hard worker, you're an, and also you're a nice guy because you covered for her, and you didn't hold her responsible, right? So she was showed up an hour late for late work, and you're like, ah, eh, it's nothing. Now that seems like being a nice guy, which you know you and I would say, yeah, it's not a bad thing to do as long as she's not chronically late. But if she's an unstable and greedy person, then she's going to look at that and say, aha, he's a nice guy. And so I can control him. I can manipulate him. Uh, he's uh, he's too nice, right? Niceness, uh, like to be nice among nice people is a really good thing. To be nice among bad people is a really bad thing. Look, I don't want to get overly philosophical here, but that's sort of my, uh, my no, thought. No, no, so. I, 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 well, actually, a lot of things that, you know, kind of encouraged me to call you because I listen to you a lot, Steph. And one of, one of the things is I started looking back and I'm like, hey, probably at that very morning, I just kind of, you know, opened up to this uh, woman and I was like, hey, I'm I'm somebody who can who you can step all over and I wouldn't do anything about it. And to this day, you know, uh, uh, giving her that, you know, inch of 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 niceness, she took miles and miles. So, well, and unfortunately, we we've just lost 
we've completely lost the concept of female evil. And oddly enough, it was actually, uh, well, partly my Christian upbringing, but also partly Dungeons and Dragons that gave me a sense of female evil because there are uh, evil the succubi and there's a, a character Lilith who, I, if I remember right, is some evil spider queen or something like that. So there are many female evil characters in Dungeons and Dragons and it kind of reminded me of or woke me up to that reality uh, of that. And we've kind of lost that, right? The, a woman who's going to say, Hey, uh, let's, uh, let's have sex on the first date. Uh, that's, that's dangerous. You know, there's nothing, uh, you know, there's nothing that comes for free in this world and, and sex is just about the most expensive thing of all. So, uh, all right. Um, so you moved in after a couple of weeks and what then? Uh, like I, like I was saying uh, about the pregnancy, I kind of struggled to get it to kind of like realize that, Hey, you could be pregnant because you didn't get your period for three, three months. Right. And, that and was, sorry to interrupt when, but she also could have been denying the pregnancy so that it would pass a reasonable time for an abortion. But sorry, go ahead. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, that, that, well, that, that's how it's going to turn out to be, because um, uh, the fact that she was kind of like resisting the fact that, hey, uh, I'm not going to do the test. I believe that she was testing me as well, how much pain and how much harm and how much bullshit I can take from her because I could spend the whole day texting the idiot I am back then. Like, Hey, like if you're pregnant, please just don't, you know, get an abortion because, uh, back then and to this day, I still back then because I was still a believer. I was like, Hey, I can't kill a kill life. But right now, because I consider myself a student, you know, of values and, and, uh, you know, and good behavior and, you know, all of that good stuff, I still against abortion, but, uh, after that, it was, I think, that the three months and a half mark, she was like, hey, I'm so frustrated. I can't deal with you. I can't deal with work. How about I invite you to have a dinner with my mom? So I think that was the start for another woman to test me if I'm, you know, um, you know, if I'm steppable, like if I'm if she's if her mom is, is going to be able to step all over me as well. So we went for this dinner and then all of a sudden, guess who's making the decision for the pregnancy to continue? It's her mother. She was like, hey, my mom has, you know, uh, convinced me that I should keep the pregnancy. And her mom, like out loud in my face, she was like, hey, if it wasn't for me, she would be, you know, uh, getting an abortion right now. And I was like, because I came from a culture that respects the boomers and not never questioned them and never put them, you know, never hold their feet to, you know, like the, 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 the responsibilities they, 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 uh, they should have. I was like, hey, she's an older lady. She's probably wiser than me and her daughter. She was probably even, you know, smarter than me and trying to convince her daughter to keep the uh, pregnancy. So it was like that, like in a snap. And she right. was like, hey, I told her she, she can keep the pregnancy. And moreover, now that, she, now that you two never been a parent before, why don't you pack it up and come live with me? And we did just that. And then hell broke loose since then. So you moved to your girlfriend's place and then you both moved to your mother-in-law's place, but you weren't married at this point, right? No, no. Okay, a, a little bit of selective <clears throat> religiosity there, right? No abortions, which I'm fine yeah. with is a good thing, but uh, sex yeah. before marriage, sex outside of marriage. Anyway, <clears throat> so what happened in the mom yeah. and mother-in-law's place? Um, The mother-in-law started, uh, you know, little by little, um, you know, kind of, giving us suggestions that, hey, this place that we live right now is small, and then we're going to have the baby. And her mom used to live with her boyfriend. Her mom is separated from her 
dead for the past, I don't know, 15 years. So she started making these suggestions and we were making a lot of money because, we, you know, I worked a lot, she worked a lot. So I suggested, hey, we can move to a better place or actually a bigger place. So we did just that. So we moved to a bigger place. And then her mom just started taking like control over everything. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, Steph. Like she she's like very, very controlling to the point that if I come in the morning after a long shift and I forget to get my jacket off of the chair, because usually that's my habit. I would take my jacket off and then I would put it on the chair, grab, grab like a quick bite or whatever, and then take it, throw it in a laundry basket. But sometimes if I forget it, oh my God, Steph, I would, I would have to suffer from that woman's abuse for a week or two just for leaving the jacket on the, on the chair. And then uh, the control went to how I should dress my kid, how I should not be picking up my kid. Every time I would pick up my kid to hold her, she would just go like loose. Like she would just start screaming, oh my God, he's going to drop her. He's going to do this. If my wife is not there, she would just pick up, sorry, my wife now, but my girlfriend back then, she would just pick up the phone and start calling her. Oh my God, he's picking her up. He's going to drop her. So that's how it was. Wow. And do you pay most of the bills? Uh, We were paying all of the bills actually. And here's the catch. All of the bills were under her mom's name. You know, she, the lease was under her name. All of the all of the above, the cable, electricity, garbage, but we were you know bringing in cash, and her mom would deposit it in her uh, bank account in order for the bills to be paid. But every time I try to rebel against my wife's abuse or my wife's you know continuous uh, you know just just like straight up out of like a cave from what I'm from where they torture people abuse, she would be like, "Hey, this is my house. You can back it up or leave if you don't like it." So. And how did this play out over the years? Uh, it, it continued until until very very recently, actually, until uh, I would say uh, November, December last year, when her mom caught this hereditary disease. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Prine or something like that. Prine yeah. disease. Yeah, it's like something that that's in her family. So they would just go crazy for a little bit for like. Uh, a month or two and then all of a sudden they just die you know and wow. I got blamed for that because sometimes my wife would be out or she would be at work and then her mom would pick up the phone and she would be like oh this guy's driving me nuts he makes noises he's trying to drive me crazy and stuff like that and so you could just imagine me dealing with my wife coming in she's like oh I recommend that you would go sleep somewhere else and, but at this point, I'm not making enough, so I would just go out and sleep in the car because her wow. mom is like blaming me. And how did this all? How did this all there. end? I mean, I assume it's ended to some degree, but how did this all wind down? Um, it, it it ended by her mom going, you know, to uh to the hospital because there was one night when she just got up and she just went nuts, like she she just opened the door and ran, and she fell on her face. She was like all bloody and stuff, and then. Uh, my wife came in screaming like, oh, we need to go get my mom. I was like, she's in her room. She's like, no, no, she ran out. And then I went after her and she was holding this glass uh, cup in her hand. And then it almost like shattered her, you know, her hand and stuff like that. So we brought her in, called 911. They came, pick her up. She went to the hospital for a month and a half. Uh, and all of a sudden she was like, hey, my mom 
they just called me. My mom has passed away. So I just wanted to point out too, you know, like as a taxpayer, um, the yeah. cash business, uh, not a lot of taxes being paid, but a whole lot of social services being consumed. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. But uh, and then, so what uh, happened you, with you? Hang, uh, sorry, Steph. Are you uh, pointing to the job where I worked? Well, you just said it was a cash, like you would get cash. Now, maybe it was all declared, no, no, but no. you know. No, no, we we would get you know it was it was all in the clear like we we're uh, this is this was not a cash paying uh, job no we what I meant is I would go to the ATM I would pull in cash and then I would give it to her mom that's what uh, I okay I appreciate yeah. that no thanks for the correction thank you I uh, apologize for the yeah, insinuation yeah. all right so oh, how no did worries. how did things how did things play out uh, with uh, the girlfriend and and your your kid. Uh, uh, well, she's my wife right now because she we got married. Right. Okay. That's that's part of the clarification that I wanted to uh, to get a hold of. And how are things with your wife at the moment? Uh, not not good because uh, um, you know, like I said, she's uh, she's a, a person that would just not she just wouldn't want to enjoy any good times. Like she thrives and she's she's always starving for an argument. She's always starving for a fight. So I set her straight. I would say a couple of months ago, I was like, you know what? Uh, because I would ask her sometimes, like, hey, what are you doing with me? And, like, what do you like about me? Like, why did you choose me to be your husband? And all she would say, oh, because you're a hard worker. Like, there was no quality other than being a hard because worker. Because you're what? So, because I'm a hard worker. Like, because I'm, I'm able to pay the bills. That's the only quality she would mention when I ask her, what are you doing with me? Uh, right, so y you have an ATM, and and she has an ATM, which is you, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how's and your so, how's your daughter? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and so I I got to the point when I was trying to mention that I set her straight that hey, I think we should you know just take a break, you know, and uh, you're gonna stay in your room and I'm gonna stay in my room and we're gonna pretend like we're we're okay. Just don't text me over something stupid unless if it has to do with our daughter. So we coordinate with who's going to pick her up from the school, who's going to take care of her today, who's going to do this for her. And that's the only relationship I have with my wife right now. There is nothing going on, you know. Right, right. And how's your daughter doing? Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't claim that a kid living in this situation is doing good. But I believe that, you know, my, my daughter is doing great, you know. At least I'm, I'm, you know, I wouldn't, I would lie to you, Steph, like her mom, I, I mean, she's not, she's not the best wife that I can, you know, dream of having, but she's doing her best too. And I, I try to not, you know, piss off my kid or, you know, I like, you know, learning from you. I sit down and negotiate with her and God, this could have a lot of questions. Like she would ask me sometimes questions. Like last time we traveled to, uh, um, to, to what I'm from, I took them both. And then we spent a few days in there. And then she would ask me all these questions like, what planet is your country? The, are, uh, is your country in the sky and stuff like that? So I would sit down and try to explain to her that, no, we live in the same planet and all of that. So I would say my kid is doing good. All right. Tell me about the guy who ran the arcade. Uh, the guy who ran the arcade, uh, that's, uh, that's a story that I haven't told anybody before. But I would like to clarify that I was kind of tipsy, um, I would say, uh, a couple of years. And that I don't know why I would pick up the phone and tell my brother about it, you know. So I told him and his response was like, well, 
yeah, I, I, I killed, I killed this guy every single moment in, in, in my life, in my, in my brain. I, I don't wish him dead, but I kill him in my, in my thoughts. I killed. So yeah, tell me a little bit about, uh, tell me about what happened with the guy who had the arcade. Yeah. Uh, like I said, um, I, I kind of ran away. Well, like are you asking me what's going on with him right now? No, no. What happened back in the day? Yeah. I, you I, said he I was the guy who really wrecked your life. And I just, what, what happened? Yeah, I, I thought I cut off or something because I was telling you about the story of, about how he would, you know, uh, try to get behind me in the arcade and stuff like that. Did you hear what no, I was No, sorry, you, you you dropped for a couple of minutes there, so something's happening at your end where you dropped, oh. so, yeah. So, oh, okay. you, sorry, you'll have to yeah. repeat it. Okay, so I would I would scrape off pennies from my mom or from, you know, doing a chore for a neighbor so they would give me, you know, a little bit of change, so I would go to the, to, to the arcade, and there was two... Uh, pinball machines and there were there was just enough space between the two of them for a kid to kind of like squeeze in to be watching his friend playing and stuff like that so this guy kind of you know widened that space a little bit so sometimes i would not have money so i would just uh, squeeze in and be watching somebody playing pinball so he would get behind me and start doing like kind of touching me in in, in weird ways and stuff like that and uh um, I, I I thought that what was happening is just an accident, but I don't know why I kept going back because I tried to, I don't know, I tried to tell myself, like, probably this guy is not, you know, is not what I think he's doing to me. And until the point when one day I was uh, kind of like, you know, passing by his house, going to the convenience store, and he kind of like trying to force me to go inside the house. He's like, hey, come in, we can watch TV, and we can do that. I was like, no, no, dude, like, I got to go, like, my mom's waiting and after that, I just, um, I just, I just locked myself in the house for years. I just couldn't go out. You know, I just couldn't. Wait, go wait, wait, out. no. I, I don't mean play. to be. I don't mean to be overly. You don't have to tell me anything you don't want to. But what happened in the house? Yeah. No, no. I, I ran away. Like I said, I ran away. I just couldn't. I, I at that point, I understand that this guy is trying to is trying to rape me. You know. So I was right. like, no, I have to go. I, uh, he's holding my hand. I was like, dude, you got to let me go. I have to go. You know, that's when I felt like, hey, who should I open up to? You know, and the stupid place what I'm coming from, like if, if a kid gets exposed and quote exposed to the public that this kid has been molested, hey, they don't go after the molester. They go after the kid and they start mock, uh, mocking the kid, uh, bullying the family until they drive him out of the the neighborhood so i was like i cannot do this to my mom or my brother like i cannot do this to them so i just well it's, it's one of the big it's one of the biggest black pills around is yeah understanding i mean it's not just in north africa man it's all over the place understanding how much society moves in to protect child abusers and child predators is really yeah. it's one of the biggest black pills there is when you you see uh, a story. And I, 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 I talked about this many years ago. I said, look, if you're, if let's say that you were abused by an uncle, or sexually abused by an uncle, and you decide to bring this up at a family dinner one night, uh, everyone's going to get mad at you for bringing it up. Most times. Yep. Most times, right? So everybody moves in to protect the predators. I mean, I experienced this way back in 2008 or whenever it was when articles began appearing that I was a cult leader for saying to people, you don't have to spend time with child abusers if you're an adult and, and you, you know, you're not obligated to, to spend time with abusive parents. And society immediately moved in to label me as a cult leader. 
and to excuse the parents. Like the moment you stand up for kids, the moment you stand up for kids, society will attack you with everything it's got. And that's one of the biggest black pills that you can see because society looks pretty civilized. But for the most part, it's a bunch of uh, child abuse actors, people who abuse children or people who protect child abusers. That's really all it comes down to because so much of our existing power structure relies upon the abuse of children. So I just wanted to point that out that it's not just where you're coming from. Uh, anybody who genuinely stands up for children and uh, adult children, I don't talk to kids, right? But anyone who generally uh, and genuinely stands up for children will be attacked with just about everything society has that will try to destroy your life from top to bottom. Well, and uh, that's all you need to know about where society is. But sorry, go ahead. Well, here's the funny part, Steph, because there is some organizations that starting to pop up in, in where I'm from that wants to protect kids from being, you know, abused. And guess what? The public just accuse them of being molested too, you know? Like they will they will make fun of the person that's trying to make protect kids and they will be like, ah, you're probably doing it because you got molested. It's like getting molested is the is the victim's fault. It's not the perpetrator's fault. If if you know Oh yeah, and I about, uh, you know? when I was in my early <laughs> teens, uh, I did end up in a house where a guy was grabbing at me and I had to Oh. Fight my way out. I mean, I I got out intact, but uh, yeah, I mean that that's a pretty sticky trap that goes on in some of these houses. And uh, I was just lucky. Uh, I, I was a lucky a lucky kid, and uh, I uh, I really sympathize. But you, because I thought you said that this guy, the the guy who owned the arcade, that he was the guy who wrecked your life. Yes, because uh, uh, because based on what happened to me. You know, because uh, the the way that he would, you know, start touching me in the arcade and the fact that he got to the point that he would try to grab me to get into his house to this point, it makes me think why he would do that to me. You know, it kind of got me to the point to question everything about myself. Like, did I appear? No, so he, no, hang on. So he would do that to you for the simple reason that you didn't have a father to protect you. Right. Child predators, so, like anybody, anybody who advocates for the destruction of the family is to me in the camp of or in the vicinity of people who prey upon children because the family is the safest place for a child to be an intact family, mother, father, two parents, whatever. An intact family is the safest. So anybody who's saying like, if you want to see the shorthand, right? People say, well, we, we want to destroy the nuclear family. We want children to be raised collectively. We want to empower single mothers. We love the welfare state. We want to, you know, we, we hate the patriarchy. Anybody who is trying to destroy the nuclear family is trying to separate the young from the herd, right? This is what uh, jackals do, right? If there's a whole bunch of zebras and there's a baby zebra, they will try and separate the baby zebra from the herd so they can kill it and, and eat it. So every, this is shorthand because you can see this all over the place, right? You can see this all over the, all on the left. They want to destroy the family. They want to undo the nuclear family. The nuclear family is oppressive. Patriarchy is oppressive. They want to empower single moms. All of that is we need to separate the children from the male protectors. And they, they want to separate the children from the male protectors so they can prey on the children. That to me, every time I see that, it's just like, oh, okay, uh, pedo protectors, pedo enablers, or direct pedos. That's what goes on in my mind. I'm not saying there's some kind of objective fact. That's the association, and I would invite people to look at it that way, that everybody who seeks to dismantle the family is trying to separate the young from the herd so they can be preyed on. That could be economically, sexually, uh, from a physical abuse standpoint, an emotional abuse standpoint, because the fathers are needed to protect the young. Separating the young from the fathers 
is a prequel to child abuse uh, in in horrible, horrifying ways. So he he was able to do this, and, and good for you, like fantastic for you for not going into the house, for not needing an older father figure to that point, right? But yeah, that's why he. It's nothing to do with you. I mean, it's it's not like uh, if if the jackals are pursuing the baby zebra. It's not like the baby zebra says, "Well, what's wrong with me?" If they're trying to separate the baby zebra from the herd, and they do successfully do so, the baby zebra is, I mean, if it was a human being, the baby zebra would say, oh, what did I do that was so wrong? Why did they target? It's like, no, you're just you're unprotected and you're vulnerable. And so it's not personal to you. It's not like some moral judgment on you or you did anything wrong or you did anything bad. It's like these these predators are very good at figuring out who's unprotected. And, of course, he operates in a social and legal environment where he's not, even if you run and tell your mom, he's not going to face any negative repercussions. In fact, you're going to be punished for it. So he knows that society is going to protect him like crazy. And he's got, you know, he might as well make the try because, you know, let's say you separate the baby zebra from the herd, you chase it down, but it, it gets away. It's not like the zebras are going to hunt you down and kill you. I mean, they're just going to keep running away because they're a prey animal, right? So, um, so yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, as far as this guy, I, I don't see him in the top 10 of who destroyed your life. As you say, it. I don't think your life is destroyed because you're calling here, you're listening to philosophy, but I don't see this guy anywhere in the top 10 of, you know, you've got your mom and your aunt doing naked, creepy menstrual blood sacrifice rituals from hell. And you got this guy, uh, grabbing at you in an arcade. And I'm not saying that's good. That's terrible. Absolutely horrible. But as far as like impact on your life and, and direct, there's got to be something in your head, to me at least, that has, has changed what to me looks like a bad thing, but not the worst thing, if that makes any sense. And I, I just maybe there's something that you've got in your head that I don't quite follow. But just looking at it from the outside, I don't see the harm that he did you as comparable to the harm that your mom and your aunt did you, for instance. Um, I, I totally understand uh, what you're saying, Steph. And, it, you know, coming from you that it's not my fault and this guy just prayed, you know, Right on me because of the society, how it's built and all of that. It, it you know, it kind of, you know, uh, gives me a closure a little bit that, hey, it's 100% not my fault. But I, I do believe that it's something else. And I, that's why I called and that's why I reached to you, Steph, because, you know, I, I've, I've heard your techniques and mechanisms of how you would get out of the person uh, what's actually bothering them. Um, okay, so what is it? What is your? Hang on. So what is what is your story about the guy who grabbed at you, right? And listen, I don't mean to minimize yeah. it. Would 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 it be fair to say because he didn't molest you in the arcade, but he touched you inappropriately, to put it mildly, right? Yes. Okay. So some t some of the people I've talked to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but some of the people I've talked to say, oh, maybe he targeted me because he sensed there was something effeminate about me or something gay about me or something wrong with me or something cowardly about me or something weak with me or, or, or something like that. Is there something in your mind that says that he picked up on something in you that you would consider a negative and that you carry that, whatever that negative is, with you after the attack or the attempted attack yes okay and what is what is the negative thing that you think he picked up on uh i i don't think it has something to do with the sexuality but more like um because every kid that would and it would be crowded with kids like every kid that was there like had the, had their father in the house 
you know? So it makes a lot of sense to me that, hey, this, this dude prayed on me this way because he knew that I don't have a backup in my family. Like I wouldn't run to a bad brother or to a bigger man to just call and be like, hey, this guy did this to me. And they would go back to him. So I think he prayed on me just because of the fact that you made it clear to me right now that because I didn't have a father. So I think that was the case. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not personal. He was morally to blame for targeting a child, but your mother was also to blame because she didn't find or become a quality enough person. She didn't find a, a, a male to protect her children. And she herself, of course, did not protect her children. That's asking quite a lot for a woman to do. I mean, some women do, and they do a great job. But women as a whole, um, they're good at protecting toddlers from stairs, but they're not good at protecting older children from predators at all. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you can see this uh, all, all over the place in Europe, right, where you have these uh, immigrant gangs uh, raping uh, children and, you know, there's not, like, vigilante women out there sorting it out, right? And there's not a lot of vigilante men, but mostly it's single moms, as far as I understand it. And also when the men try to do it, they get arrested, right? So uh, when the men try to protect their children, they get arrested because society wants to protect. Uh, society's default position is to protect child abusers. Uh, and, and that's why child abusers can do what they do, because they know that society is going to protect them and uh, attack whoever stands up for the kids. So your mom should have been, you know, she, she should have been trying to make herself into a better person. Instead, she went to menstrual blood magic to make herself attractive, which clearly didn't work because any sane man is going to look at that and say, whoa, good luck with that, you psychotic, crazy person, because it is insane. It is insane to, to do these burnt menstrual blood rituals in the hopes of attracting man. And what you're saying is, well, I have no capacity to improve my personality, but maybe burnt blood will do the trick. And it's like when you're in that particular position, uh, you know, she's not going to attract any kind of quality man to help protect her children. She's not willing to protect her children herself. And, you know, this is the thing too, like single moms, they're always hanging by a thread. They're always hanging by a thread. And so when you run into trouble as a kid, I can say this virtually universally. When you run into trouble as a kid, your single mom, she's hanging by a thread. She can barely pay the bills. She's stressed all the time. She's overwhelmed. She's upset. She's tense. She can't sleep. She's just hanging by a thread. And so the last thing you want to do if you're a, the child of a single mom and you run into trouble, you, you, you get bullied, you, um, you lose some money, you... Uh, get uh, groped in the you're like well i can't go to my mom because she's she's already hanging by a thread and this will break her this will they, everything will fall apart the, the fragility and stress and you know maybe it's single dads too I, there's not really much data on it and i wasn't raised by a single dad so i can't really tell but so you don't go to your mom and say hey you know this creep grabbed my ass in the arcade and then tried to lure me into his house you don't go to your mom because she's already hanging by a thread and she's got no bandwidth yeah for any additional problems. So that's, uh, that was my, I mean, that was certainly my experience. The people I've talked to was, was that the case with like, why didn't you tell your mom? Oh, yeah. you're still was with that me. a question, Steph? It really was. Was that a question? Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. Uh, because exactly what you uh, explained, like I felt that the lady was super overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I just didn't think that she would, um, she would kind of like, 
I mean, in the midst of all that craziness with her sister and everything, she was still, I, I, I from, from seeing it right now, she was still protective. Like sometimes they get with a fight with a kid in the neighborhood, she would come out and, you know, try to fight with the family because there was no like, hey, your kid hit my kid. What do we do about it? They would come out fighting and everything. But yeah, I think she was, she was just super overwhelmed that I couldn't just, you know, sit down and just drop this bomb on top of her head and be like, hey, somebody's trying to do some stupid shit to me and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So just to, to take the analogy of the baby zebra further, the baby zebra, they have to work to separate the baby zebra from the herd because the moms and the dads of the baby zebra are working real hard to protect that, right? But what, what chance does the baby zebra have with the lions or the jackals? What, what chance does the baby zebra have if the ze baby zebra is pushed away from the herd by the parent and then if the baby zebra tries to get help from the approaching jackals, the mom zebra uh, kicks it in the face and drives it away. Yeah. She's delivering. She's literally delivering the baby zebra to the jackals. Because yep. if you go to your mom and say, I need help, which is the analogy of the baby zebra seeking the protection of the herd, and you get attacked oh i'm so stressed oh just find a way to deal with it i can't you know whatever right like you get attacked and kind of thrown back out into the wild uh you you know it's not it's 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 not on you it's not on you he targeted you because your mother wasn't protecting you and you had no father and you had no uncles at least who would protect you you had no older siblings you had like i remember the only time i was ever in physical I think this is the only time I was ever in physical danger in a government school was I was in an arcade and I was playing the game Defender, which is kind of like having a bag of bees tied in a burlap sack over your head. And I was doing really well. And some kid uh, unplugged the game because he wanted to play. Oh. And anyway, so I, and I pushed him, right? I was like, pushed him back saying, you jerk. I was doing really well. Anyway, he had, he was, he was my size, right? But he didn't want to fight, right? And I didn't want to fight either. I was just mad at the guy, right? And it was really like, it was like a tiny shove. It was not like he went spiraling backwards or something like that. It was a tiny shove. And because uh, I was mad, I was getting a high score and that kind of meant something back in the day. Anyway, so he had an older brother who had a true psycho face. Like, you know, those, those people, like they barely blink and there's just dead eyes, like a doll's eyes, like a shark's eyes. And, uh, and he, so this older brother, uh, the, the younger brother ran to the older brother and the older brother was going to beat me up. And I remember, yeah, just being scared to go to school for like a week because I was going up the stairs. He was coming down the stairs. He punched me in the arm. He's like, you're dead, man. And, you know, when you're a kid, it's, <laughs> you know, we laugh yeah. now. But, just, but you know, when you're a kid, that's yeah. pretty serious stuff, right? And this, you know, yeah, I was maybe yeah, yeah. 12 and the older brother was like 16 or 17. And you know the difference between 12 and 16 or 17. Like there's no, there's no comparison, oh. right? One is an adult male, basically, and the other is still a kid. And I was a bit of a late bloomer. Uh, I ended up almost six feet tall, and I'm a fairly big guy now, but uh, it took a little while to, to kick in. So I was, you know, like a little kid, basically. And uh, this guy was, uh, uh, you know, a, a big, burly 17-year-old, and there was, like, no contest. So I just avoided him, right? And I, I remember sitting in the apartment, uh, and I had a little harmonica, and I remember playing taps, <laughs> you know, like it was my own funeral. And again, I laugh now, but back then, that was serious stuff. Now... Yeah. So, so this little kid, again, I wasn't beating him up. I just shoved him a little on the arm, uh, uh, on the shoulder, and just said, you jerk, or something like that. 
and it was no big thing. Like it was no, it was no, there was no squaring off. I didn't hit him with anything. I didn't punch the guy or anything, but he had an older brother. He could go and get to do his vengeance or whatever it was. Right. And yeah. I, all I did was avoid the guy for a week and then it just kind of faded away. Um, I can't remember like, and it's funny cause I actually met the guy many years later. He didn't remember it at all, but, um, the older brother. So now was that he, so he had an older brother who could, I guess, defend his interests, but basically he was, it was just a creepy family and the uh, younger brother wanted to do some damage on me and therefore he could enlist his older brother. The older brother loved the excuse to terrorize a little kid cause he was really brave. And, uh, but no, it's, it's nothing personal to me. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't go to my mom. I couldn't go to my mom. I remember once having to call my mom for some important reason back, back then when I was sort of 12 or 12 and a half, I remember having to call my mom and I had a whole list of phone numbers of places where I thought she was working. And every time I'd call, they'd say, Oh no, no, sorry. Sorry, honey. She doesn't work here anymore. We let her go like two months ago. And I just, I remember going through the whole list of phone numbers where I thought my mom was working and I just couldn't get a hold of her because she'd been fired from all these places because she, uh, well, she was crazy. Right. So, there was no, there was no possibility that I was going to go to my mom and my mom was going to be like, Oh, okay, we're going to, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call the teacher, going to call the parents, going to deal with this, going to call the cops because you've now been threatened or whatever, whatever they were going to do. Right. There was absolutely no chance. My mom would have just freaked out, panicked. Uh, she would have screamed. She, and, and whatever happened would be worse. So you just got to deal with it yourself. Right. And, and, and people know that like the, the jackals know that they know when you got to deal with things yourself, it's nothing personal. It, it's not personal any more than the, you know, the, the, the jackals have a hate on for the baby zebra and they just want to torture it. And, and, and it's not, again, I mean, there's a malevolence involved, of course, but it's not personal to you. It's anybody who's unprotected will be preyed on. It's not the fault of the unprotected. It's the fault of the people who failed to protect them. It's not on you at all in any way, shape or form. And you came through it really well, man. I mean, you came through one of the more brutal childhoods I've ever heard about, and I've heard about quite a few. But I mean, you came through pretty well. You're a peaceful parent. You are trying to at least work on something to do with your marriage, like with the cooling off period. You're interested in philosophy. You've had some success in life. You've, you've had some sustained economic value that you're adding to the world. You are negotiating with your daughter. I mean, you've come through this really well. And, and, Something to do with, with coming through this really well is a phrase I just sort of coined over the last couple of days. I was telling uh, my daughter uh, about, about something, and I said, you know, because here's, here's my mantra. I refuse to lose. I refuse to lose. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Like I just, I just refuse to lose. Whatever happens, I will find a way to turn it to my advantage. You know, judo style, the momentum of your enemy, you turn it to their defeat. Like I simply refuse to lose. It sounds like you're kind of in that camp. I don't care all the stuff that's been piled on me. I don't care all the hatred I get. I don't care all the negativity. I don't care all the deplatforming. I will find, I refuse to lose. I refuse to lose. And it sounds like a little bit you're in that camp because you're still working to improve your life and you're giving your daughter an infinitely better childhood than you got. And that's intensely and immensely admirable. And don't ever let the jackals define who you are because that's how they win, right? They get inside your head. They replace your self-regard with how they look at you. And that's how they win. Never like refuse to lose. Never let, the haters define who you are.
never let the people who are malevolent towards you because of your virtues displace your virtues. I mean, that's how evil multiplies, right? Is they, they find a virtuous person, they relentlessly attack that, that person until the person starts attacking themselves, and then satisfied, they move on to the next target. And just refuse to self-attack. I'm not going to let the horrible language of other people get in my head and start turning me against myself. My relationship is with truth, virtue, honor, integrity, philosophy. You know, like Wikipedia has got some, I mean, ridiculously awful things. It's all awful, right? But Wikipedia, the, the editors of Wikipedia have literally buried close to 100 million bodies in the pages of Wikipedia. Because, you know, they, they start basically the communist history of China in 1971 after most of the people had been murdered. Tens of millions of people. They vastly overlooked the Holodomor. They vastly overlooked the killing fields of Cambodia. They, they, they literally virtually ignored or buried 100 million bodies in Wikipedia. So they'll overlook. In fact, they'll, they'll bury and avoid 100 million people slaughtered by their own governments. But boy, they really do reserve their hatred for me, a podcaster. And you understand these two things are related. It, it, it is a cesspit from hell. And so, yeah, you have to put these things in, in context. So you were targeted by a pedophile. But it's not personal to you. It's nothing wrong with you. You were just unprotected. It's like that bank robber, right? The bank robber, somebody says, well, why do you rob banks? And he says, because that's where the money is. It's not personal. He doesn't hate the bank. He doesn't hate the teller. It's just where the money is. So why did why were you targeted by a pedophile? Because you were unprotected. You were unprotected by your mother and your male relatives. And also, if you went to anyone, you would be attacked and he would be protected. The person I think gave, did more damage was the person who put you in hospital for 45 days. Wouldn't that be fair to say? All right. Now we loosey-goosey with our friend as well. Just oh, he's gone. You just dropped again. All right. I don't think we can continue this, but maybe we'll... Uh, maybe we'll try another time, but uh, oh, he's back. Okay, we'll try it one more, one more time. All right. Oh, hey, I, I heard you. I heard you all the way. You know, like I didn't. You didn't drop. I don't know why I keep dropping, but I can still hear you. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, what about the guy who put you in hospital for forty-five days? Isn't that guy yeah, do a little no. bit more damage than the guy who uh, grabbed your ass at the arcade? Absolutely. Um, it, it, it affected my sight, I mean, so bad that I'm almost like blind from my right eye. And, uh, oh man, I'm so sorry. Continue. So, but, but isn't that the guy, like you say, the guy with the arcade, but isn't that the guy? And there was another example of society protecting, I mean, he's, he was virtually a child murderer. I mean, you were probably close to death at that point, right? Yeah, 100%. If it wasn't for a neighbor that actually took me, you know, cause if you wait for it, uh, the, an ambulance back then it would take him at least 45 minutes so he just rushed me to the hospital and i got the seizures i was throwing blood and i was i was just a mess yeah 
And I didn't recall now, any of this, like people that were around me that were telling me how, how it went down. So yeah, go ahead, Steph. Well, you said that uh, because there was no lawyer, the guy was never charged, but that's not. No, no, he was never charged. No, but, but that doesn't, that's not reliant upon your mom getting a good lawyer. It's a system. It, it's reliant on, on my mom not getting a good lawyer because what happened is uh, if, if you want to go to uh, to the police, you can still hear me, Steph? Yep. Okay. If you go to the police station to try to press charges on somebody, first of all, they will be like, okay, let's, let's take your names and everything. And then just because it's a neighborhood police station, they wouldn't know who has the money and who doesn't. You know, so what they would do in my mom's case is they would scare her away. Like, hey, why would you want to press charges where you can't even afford a lawyer and you're just going to fill the uh, judicial system with your bullshit and nobody gives a shit about you and it's just going to Oh, it's a, sorry you. to interrupt. Is it because the guy who attacked you had money and could lawyer up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. He actually had yeah. two lawyers because uh, they would uh, put it on me that I slipped and, and hit, you know, the concrete but there was there was neighbors that went to witness and they were they were scared scared away too they were like hey everybody's saying that the kid slipped and hit his the back is the back of his head and you're telling me that this guy picked him up and hit him you know on the concrete so they scared away my mom they scared away to the point that they scared me away like myself like i i, I kind of like have like a foggy memory that uh, the 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 person who hit me, his dad, and then another guy, which I assume it was a cop back then. They came to me. They were like, "Son, you have no choice but to forgive this guy. Like, why would you want to send him to prison? Like, what are you gonna gain from that? You know, just get over it, and it will be all right." And that was it. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, and this is what people don't understand about the legal system, that if you're wealthy, you can get away with a hell of a lot because you just lawyer up, and the police are like, "Oh, forget it. Too many resources. Not worth it." Right. One hundred percent. Okay, so please tell me the area that I can give you the most help on. I mean, I appreciate the story. I think it's been very useful so far, but I want to make sure that um, I give you the, the, the best value for your time that I possibly can. Okay, um, I appreciate that, Steph. Um, at the end of my email, I was like, I can't take this shit anymore. I'm just about to piss it all off. So I through, through listening to you, Steph, I, I hear this phrase that you would say to a uh, few of your listeners that would have like suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. So you would ask them if you're, if you're thinking of suicide, there has to be somebody in your circle that wants you, that wants you dead. I'm paraphrasing. I, I don't know if I got that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's can my you, thought. Can yeah. you explain that to me a little bit more, Steph? Well, you are a living organism and like all living organisms, you want to survive and thrive. So yeah. if you want to be dead, then there must be something from outside of yourself that would prefer you to be dead. Now, the death impulse occurs when you are close to telling an important truth. So to take an, another analogy, right? So if, if you witness a crime, organized crime, and you are going to testify, what does the organized criminal gang want to do to you? Uh, get you uh, kill you. Yeah, they want to kill you, right? Yeah. And so if you have, and you have witnessed a lot of crimes in your life, you've been the victim of a lot of crimes, you've witnessed a lot of crimes in your life. Now, if you start to tell the truth about crimes, 
or if you start to become very honest with yourself and you take the black pill and you realize that society is uh, mostly a, a, a predation on, ch on children gang, right? It's a preying on children gang, right? In terms of finances and locking children in prisons uh, of government schools and using them as collateral to borrow against and, uh, you know, raping them and beating them and circumcising them, right? It is a, society is largely a child abuse gang. Now, when you recognize this, and I think you're recognizing this in part because of your love for your daughter, right? And, and you say, okay, well, if I love my daughter, why the hell can't society treat children better? Yeah. Because children are the ultimate underclass in society. They are the slaves. And I don't mean that just, oh, it's metaphorically. No, that, I mean, they're literally enslaved because of debt. And they're literally jammed into these government schools where they're propagandized to hate themselves. And in fact, it's worse than slaves, because at least with slaves, you don't teach them to hate themselves, right? You just control them and, and hit them and beat them. And, and children get all of that. So children are treated in many ways worse than slaves. In almost all societies around the world, it's even worse in North Africa than it is in the West, but it's pretty bad in the West too. And so you love your child, and you said that you started drinking right after your daughter was born, right? Yeah. Okay, and that's because you are now full of a clear view of society. The Matrix, uh, Whitney Houston is the perfect example, right? So Whitney Houston saying very movingly, I believe the children are the future, teach them well and let them, right? The greatest love of all, learning to love yourself. I, I love children, children. And what did she do? She's suicide. Well, she was she a child. That, she, was, she was a child abuser. Yeah. Because everybody yeah. who's a drug addict is abusing their children. Yeah. And her child was pretty horrible, got involved with terrible men, and her child also died from an overdose, right? Yeah. And now Whitney Houston was herself sexually abused as a child, like Marilyn Monroe, like Jim Morrison, like, you know, just go on and on, right? Yeah. Creativity is the crack that comes out of child abuse. It's the liquid that leaks out. So when you bonded with your daughter and you love your daughter, everybody who truly loves their child is a direct threat to society. Yeah, That's the relationship society has with me as a whole, right? Because I love my daughter so much, I'm willing to talk about things that society doesn't want me to talk about because they want to blame children, right? And they want to exploit children. They want to control children. They want to profit from children. And so the more you love your child, the more society will hate you for two reasons. One, one is you're just a better person, right? You just, if, if you never come across someone who genuinely loves, like you, you, you see all of these Facebook groups. It's like, oh, I spent an entire day with my children. Now I need a bottle of wine and the eye rolling. And like all of these people, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of like. I remember a female friend of mine once said, a very happy marriage, left her husband, and she said, you know, I was in this book club, and all the women are just bitching about their husbands and complaining about their husbands. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I got nothing to complain. He's a great guy, works very hard, and uh, I love him. And she never got invited back. Well, because they just want to have their stitching bitch, right? So if you genuinely love your child, you, you, you pose both a practical and an existential threat to society as a whole. Sounds like crows are circling our conversation, but yeah. we'll pass oh, through sorry. the noise. 
Yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll roll up the windows. Sorry. Thank you. All right. Hopefully it cuts me off a little bit. Oh, you're in the car. Okay. Hopefully you're not sleeping in the car. Okay. No, no, no. It's, so, it's my safe It's my safe space. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So if you love your child, then you make the people who kind of hate their children or exploit their children or ignore their children or believe that they're victimized by their children, you, you make all of those people feel bad. And because they're immature, primitive personalities, parody personalities, they will lash out and attack you because you love your child and that shows them what shitty people they are. That's number one. Number two, the powers that be, if we love our children, I mean, what have I always said? We have peaceful parenting is how we get to a stateless society. So everybody who profits from and loves the control provided by the state is going to attack anybody who promotes peaceful parenting because peaceful parenting undoes power. So you love, when you bond with and love your daughter, self-destruction gets activated in you because you are now perceived by the immune system of society as a dangerous virus. Now, you are, in fact, a cure, but the disease views the cure as a disease, right? I mean, cancer doesn't want chemo because chemo kills cancer, right? Yeah. I mean, even um, the, the bacteria that if you have an infection, they don't want the antibiotics, right? Because it kills them, right? So for a disease, the cure is a disease. And so when you love when you fall in love with your daughter, when you love your daughter, when you bond with your daughter, as which, you know, which you've survived amazingly well, the capacity to do that. And I think the show has probably helped a little bit here and there. So when you bond with your child, society views you as the enemy. When you love your child, society views you as the enemy. Why does society attack me so much? Because I promote peaceful parenting, which threatens the powers that be. Because I love my daughter enough to tell important truths. I don't want her to be blamed for various racial outcomes. It's not her fault. It's not her fault that there are IQ differences between the race. It's not her fault. And I don't want her to be blamed for that. Why? Because I love her. I want to protect her. And so, you know, and generally it's the men who will stand up to protect the children. And you do that because you love children. If we actually, and I said this for many years, if we spent five years genuinely loving our newborns, we would have an unrecognizable society, a, a very peaceful and, and beautiful and wonderful society. And so destroying the bond between parent and child is it's the fun, that's the fundamental jackal, right? Separating the children from the parents is how they get preyed on. And so if you love your children, you end up being attacked by society. And so for you, you, you your daughter is born and society has implanted in you, I assume, uh, something that attempts to destroy you because of your love of your child. Wow. Right, So you start drinking after your daughter is born because you need to quiet the voices within you that say, if you love your child, you must die. Wow. If you love your child, you are dangerous to society. If you love your child, you make us feel like shitty people because we don't care that much about our children. In fact, we kind of resent them and they, we find them annoying and we, we pretend to be victims and, and we self-pity ourselves for the choice to become parents. And you know, Shitty people don't want to look in the mirror. Uh, you know, they think they're going to see Brad Pitt. They see Jabba the Hutt, right? When an accurate mirror is shown. They, they love those distorted mirrors, right? Like the people who are fat, who wear the slimming clothes and go into, like, look into the slimming mirrors and so on. It's like, you don't want to see an accurate picture of yourself. That's why, oh, the camera adds 10 pounds. It's like, no, it doesn't. So when you fell in love with your daughter, society pushed the button that says, uh, okay, self-destruct. And for you, that's alcohol, right? Maybe other things too, but I assume that's the situation. 
yeah, just just alcohol. But you know, sometimes I I fear for my for myself because I just consume a lot of stuff. You know, it's just it's my only friend, pretty much. I mean, every day, every day. No, no, your daughter is your only friend. The alcohol is your great enemy. Yeah, right. Because when you drink you are fulfilling society's obligation to be distant from your daughter because you can't be both drunk and a good parent at the same time, right? Can I ask you a question, Steph, please? Yeah. Do you think the fact that um, me realizing that uh, my wife is not the perfect person that I should have chosen to be the mother for my children, do you think that's that's part of the analogy that her mom is part of the society that thinks that I should be dead? Uh, I would assume that the death impulse to some degree may be coming from your wife. If your quality parenting shows her to be deficient, you know, if, if someone's better than you, you have a choice. You can either work to improve them, or you can either work to improve yourself, or you can work to undermine them, right? Yeah. If, if I have a fight with a big, strong fighter in six months, uh, I can either train like crazy and become better, or uh, I can just uh, hire someone to hit him in the head with a bar or something, you know what I mean? Like just, just hurt him, right? And that way I've solved the problem. So it could be coming from your wife. It could be coming from your own mother. It could be coming from society as a whole. It could be coming from your North African culture. It could be coming from, but it's everywhere in society. The more you fall in love with your children, the more society hates you because society relies upon the exploitation of children, politically, emotionally, and, and you name it, right? I, I, I mean, if, if people genuinely loved... If people genuinely love their children, there's no way they'd dump them in these brain-rotting government schools. If people genuinely love their children, they wouldn't pay for them to go to college, to be indoctrinated into self-hating Marxism. I mean, the whole, the whole system, the whole shit show relies upon parents not bonding with their children. So you bond with your child, and society's like, boop, self-destruct. Got to get that guy out of the equation. Got to make him look miserable. Got to make him feel miserable. Got to make him want to destroy himself so that people can say, oh, well, that's what happens if you bond with your kids. You drink yourself to death. Don't let yeah. them win, man. Don't refuse to lose. Refuse to lose. Fuck society. Love your child. Stefan, I don't want you to hold back, but uh, you can you can tell me to toughen up, man, and be be stronger. You, you could tell me that because I need to hear it. Bob. No, I'm not telling you, you know. to toughen up. I'm not telling. I I think you're plenty tough, man. What you've gone through and where you are in life is bloody magnificent. I'm not going to tell you to toughen up at all. I'm not going to tell you to toughen up because toughening up would be to say to reject the feelings that you have of tenderness towards your daughter, of respect towards yourself. No, you got to soften up. <laughs> you got to soften up. No, you got to soften up. Stop. Because yeah, you got to soften up and you got to recognize that there are people who hate you and they hate you for your virtues. They hate you for what you do that's right. Hatred of the good for being the good. That's an old Ayn Rand thing, and it's, it's damn accurate. I didn't really understand the depth of it. I don't think she did either. She never had kids. But hatred of the good for being the good is kind of the essence of the modern world. Wow. And if you're hated and you internalize that hatred, you end up hating yourself precisely for your virtues, and then you can't do good in the world. So you're neutered, right? You are taken out of the equation of society. Society doesn't like if you kill yourself. Society is like okay, good. Well, at least at least we don't have somebody who really loves their kids uh, out in the world. But even if you just get neutered, like you end up just wrestling with yourself all the time, and you never like, then you don't threaten their interests, right? Yeah. 
they just don't want you in the ring, right? You know, society doesn't want you in the ring as as a loving parent, and 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 for you, it's additionally because you know you're in a particular culture that it's even worse on kids than Western culture as a whole, and so there's probably even more people. But the crimes, I mean, the North African culture you're talking about, the crimes against children are staggering, staggering. Oh, yeah. yeah, like I mean, as I said before, in the black community, half of children, half of black girls are raped by black men before they turn eighteen. That's what they claim, right? So then you have BLM wanting to dismantle the family. Well, of course. Preying on children, unfortunately, is a sort of singular characteristic of the black society. And and nobody will talk about it. And but but blaming toxic whiteness, come on. It's not toxic whiteness that's creeping into these girls' rooms at night. Come on. Yep. So the love the love for your child invites in the self-destructive implants of society, like the remote control, self-destruction. And once you accept that, you say, okay, well, I have a virus. I have a virus called the closer I am to my children, the more society's going to hate me. And then you have a choice, right? Do I then start hating my children in order to gain the approval of society? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think that's a good plan at all. I never looked at it that way, Steph. But that's the way it is. Yeah. Never Every piece of evidence way. points that way. Yeah. See, I'm 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 at a place right now. I'm I'm sorry if you're if you're done because I just wanted to, you know. And I'm so sorry. I do have a bit of a hard stop, which is why we started early, but I have got another couple of minutes. And if you want to come back, you're absolutely welcome. I don't want to give you any kind of short shrift, but uh, I do um uh, I, I do, but I'm totally happy to go for another couple of minutes. That's why I want to make sure I'm giving you the most value possible. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just, just one more thing. Like now that I understood that, because I, I, you know, internally, because society wants me dead because I love my daughter, and now I see it clearly. Um, uh, I don't see a future with my wife. So, you know, at, at some point in my life, I'm, I'm going to have to move on. So, how do you think I should go about, you know, explaining to my daughter like I couldn't be around? Because it's it, it's going to happen pretty soon. So she's she's turning six right now, and it's probably going to be the next couple of years. How do you think I should, you know, just stay in my kid's life and and just explain to her that I couldn't be there because of the harm that was happening around her? So children don't generally mind the moral arc of the parent because it gives them hope for improvement. If you say, well, I started here, but here's where I am now then they have hope for themselves that they can improve as they go forward in life. So saying, listen, when I met your mom, you know, here was my history, age appropriate, blah, blah, blah. Here was my history. Here's what was done to me. Here's where I was in life. Here's how unprotected I was. Here's where I grew up. Here's the values. You know, your daughter saying, is your country on another planet? It's actually, it was a very interesting and striking phrase, right? Yeah. And what she's saying, what she, I can tell you what she's saying to you. She's saying... Dad, it's like you were raised in a different world from me. Yeah. Because you're a peaceful parent and you were raised violently and brutally, right? It's a different world for her. That's good. You don't want her to go to North Africa and say, this is totally familiar, right? You want her to go and say, well, it's a different world, right? Yeah. Different planet. That's good. That's a good, that's a, that's a praise to you, right? So say, look, I, uh, I, I made a mistake. I tried to do the right thing and I ended up being bullied. Now, if you were being bullied, like if you had a friend, you say to your daughter, if you were having a friend and your friend was bullying you and, and taking money from you and taking stealing things from your house and, and doing bad things, 
uh, I would, what would I, you know, what would I say to you? She'd say, well, dad, you tell me not to spend time with such a bully and you got to protect yourself and, and this is not wise. And it's like, yeah, well, now the problem is, of course, you got to co-parent for another 10 years, right? Or more. Yeah. And so the problem is, and this is the big challenge with divorce, which is that the more honest you are with the mother, the more difficult the divorce is going to be. And I don't have an answer to that because, you know, a lot of that has to do with talking to a lawyer, what your rights are, um, what, what your wife has done, which, you know, don't get into here because she's not in the convo or whatever. But, you know, I mean, if she's done criminal actions, if she's beat, you know, that, that may be one thing. So um, because, the, because the great temptation is to say, well, we were just incompatible, right? But what that gives to your daughter is the sense that, well, people can be in love and they just weirdly drift apart and that makes her unable to trust relationships that she's in in the future. But the more brutally honest you are, uh, the more difficult it's going to be with your wife because your wife is going to take great exception to being talked about in this way to her daughter. So uh, that, that I, you know, I, I generally think age appropriate um, and, and, you know, square honesty when your daughter turns 18. Like square honesty when your daughter turns 18 is a legal adult independent of your wife. Child support is done. Whatever's going on, I think you need to be as really clear as, as possible. And just behave in a better way than your wife. Because if you give the empirical evidence of better behavior, your daughter is going to pick that up and is going to gravitate towards you. And you don't have to say anything negative about your wife. Just behave better than she does. But uh, that would be my suggestion. It, it, you know... If you tell the brutal truth about your wife to your daughter when she's seven and your your daughter, you, then, you know, your wife will hear about it because your daughter will probably say something. And then, you know, the shit's going to hit the fan. Is that going to be more tough for your daughter? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I think in the law, it's called parental alienation where you're trying to drive the a wedge between the, the kid and the other parent. And you can just get yourself in a whole world of hurt. It's not legal advice because I don't know. Check with a lawyer. But I sort of heard about that stuff. So. Uh, but yeah, when, when she gets to be an adult um, and she's independent, uh, I think that's that's time for full uh, full truth. Before that, you don't have to say anything negative about your wife. You can just behave better and and your daughter will will pick up on that. Okay, okay. This yeah. last thing I wanted, I wanted so to mention, much. last thing I wanted to mention, well, first of all, my usual speech that if you're feeling suicidal, I absolutely beg and and, and I would demand if I could, but I strongly uh, beg you to you call a hotline and, and, and get the help that you need. And the second is uh, because, uh, you know, you're, you're a new dad and, and it's been a tough uh, year. Uh, if you're not in therapy and, and you need some money for therapy, I'm absolutely completely and totally happy. In fact, I would be honored to uh, give you the money that you need uh, for, yeah, for therapy. If, if, if that's something that, that you feel would help, and, and uh, I'm, I'm really happy to facilitate that. I appreciate it. I've, I've heard you so many times helping people, but, you know, like you said, it's a hard year. But I am actually working on, you know, becoming a supporter so I could, uh, you know, do the monthly uh, donation. So I am. Well, I, am, I listen. I, I'm in no, no, no. Take, take your money. Take your money. And, and listen, that's really generous. I appreciate that. And, and it's, it's a wonderfully kind gesture. Um, I would, I would personally prefer it, uh, save the money for therapy, save the money. If you need a lawyer for divorce, uh, save, save the money for that. It's very, very kind. And I don't want to diminish the, the wonderfully kind offer, but my particular preference would be that you save your money for, you know, what, what could be expensive for you going forward, whether it's therapy or, or divorce or something like that, because what I want is what's best for the, the kids of the world. Now, you know, supporting me, yeah, okay, it helps a bit with the message and all that's very nice. But in this case, the money is best for your daughter's sake. And, and again, very, very kind, but that would be my preference. 
I appreciate it. I'm in a good place, Steph. You know, I appreciate the gesture too, but uh, I, in, in the near future, if I hear you're trying to hurt, uh, help somebody, I would I would try to, you know, match every dollar for the next person that you're trying to help. So uh, just to pass it on and keep the love going. So that's what I'm at right now. You know, uh, I would okay. seek help, but I don't I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm I'm, I'm ready to to uh, to seek help right now because because of the state, what I'm at and because of the politics. I don't think somebody would be able to, you know, listen and, you know, get to the point where I'm, you know, ready to go in life. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I really appreciate the call today. You should be enormous. Look in the mirror and, you know, give yourself a, a big hug and a big thumbs up, you know, and, and you have survived about as brutal a set of experiences as I've ever heard of. And you have come out as a good father. You got a problem with alcohol, but I, you know, if you identify the root cause as people want you to self-destruct, you know, I'm aware of this, you know, I'm aware of this with myself, you know, when something harsh comes out, I'm like, okay, got to make sure I drive more carefully, got to make sure that I uh, don't uh, slip on the stick, you know, because there is this self-destruct that's kind of put into us by society if we act in a better manner than society is, can stand. And just be aware, look at that bottle, and that's being handed to you by somebody who wants you to wreck your life. And they're no friend of yours, and they're no friend of your daughters, and they're no friend of virtue, and they're no friend of the future. And don't let them win. Refuse to lose. Just continue doing good. Do good though the skies fall. Love your daughter, though it pisses everybody off who's a shitty parent. Your your honor is to your daughter. Your your love and your commitment and your obligation is towards your daughter. Like I'm sorry if being slender and healthy makes fat people unhappy. Maybe it should. Maybe that's part of the motivation for them to be better. But there's a war. Will we be better or will they? make us worse and refuse to lose. That is the way forward. And you have every reason to be proud and every reason to have intense admiration for yourself as I have admiration for you, if that counts for anything. So thanks oh, everyone well, so much sure. for giving me this great opportunities. Please keep me posted, my friend. Uh, I, I would love to know how your life is going and what's going on. And if there's anything else that comes up, that's a yearning burning. I'm here, man. I'm here. Just, just uh, send a message in and we'll, we'll talk more. Okay. Thank you, Steph. I appreciate it, and thanks for everybody that was listening, and James for coordinating. I appreciate it, uh, Steph. It you got a lot. Of, you got a lot of love here, brother. And thank you, everyone, so much. Have yourself a wonderful afternoon. Uh, lots of love from up here, and uh, I will talk to you soon.